send lawyers, guns and money Dead, get me out of this all right, welcome everyone to episode 72 of the Matt Jones podcast, the third episode since our relaunch here for the summer of Corona. And we had in the first two, two of my favorite people, Tony Vanetti and Bomani Jones. And if we're going to have a third person, might as well be another one of my favorite people. So why not Greg Doyle, formerly for many years of CBS Sports, now of the Indianapolis Star. And I, you all can't see him because it's a podcast but I can see him and he looks the exact same as you think, except he's got gray now. He's like, it's all, the only difference <laughs> between the Greg Doyle from CBS and the Greg Doyle now is gray. How are you, Greg? Old, apparently. Apparently I'm old, uh, but I like being number 72. That's too tall Jones. I grew up on the Dallas Cowboys. I'll take 72. It's an honor to be here with you, Matt. It really is. I appreciate you having me on so, so very much and happy to see you. And as I told you earlier, you had, You've got a baby face. I said, are you 40 yet? You're whatever you are. I mean, you look like you're 24 years old. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, some of that is because I still live like I'm 24 years old. Not like, you know, just in terms, like if you came in my house, you would still think it's like a college apartment because I still, you know, I still wear hooded sweatshirts and all that. But uh, nevertheless, things are good. Well, let's, let's start with this. Uh, yes. You, you moved from CBS to the Indianapolis Star and you, I have watched you always had a knack for sort of writing. You kind of were really good at two things that were very different. You were really good at like the crushing people piece. And then you were really good at the make people cry piece. And it was weird that you did both of those for many years. Well, now I've watched you in Indiana and it seems like you've become sort of part of the fabric of the state to where you see you, and this is just as an outsider, but you sort of see yourself as a way of, chronicling what the culture of Indiana and the people of Indiana. Am I right about that? Completely right. And I appreciate you saying it that way, as opposed to saying what you could have said, which is you've kind of become a Homer. Um, but I kind of have, I not, not in the way that uh, go Colts win, um, but in the way that, in the way that if new England cheats the Colts, they cheated the, the team in my state, they cheated my fans. I'm pissed off at Bill Belichick. So there's that, but, but, but more than that, what you're saying is, yes, um, I fall in love with this state and I want to know it. And so I drive all over the place and I go to cemeteries and write about Newt Rockney. And I go to like, I've got a story in Sunday's paper coming up on James Dean and what a great athlete he was. And I talked to a guy that played against him 70 years ago and boys, that guy pissed off and I'm going to run that quote. So anyway, I, I, my thought is, and I hadn't thought about this until the last year or so this wasn't conscious, but my thought is now, if something happens in my state, if somebody should die, um, if somebody makes big news somewhere uh, and they're in sports, I better have written about them somewhere along the way. There better not be anybody in this state that, that matters that something happens to them, good or bad, that I never wrote about them. And I've only been here six years. And I pretty much nailed them all so far, but I'm going to keep going. There's more stories. I'm going to find them. So, yeah, I love this place. That's interesting because – and I, I think that's awesome. And in some ways, even though I don't write – I sort of see what we do in a similar way. Like we're going to kind of chronicle and tell the story of Kentucky in as many different forms as possible. I mean, right now during this quarantine, every day on my show, I profile a different county in the state. And I talk about the county and who's from there and all that kind of stuff. 
And, but I think a lot of people would see what I'm saying and what you're saying as being almost quaint. Like it's not what people sort of do nowadays. Like everything is, is not really like that. But I actually think that's what people want, especially from a local rider. They want them to like talk about their community. Do you think that's right? Oh, for sure. And it, I, but I love that you started that whole thing by saying, you know, there's some menus. I don't write, but yeah, well, one of us is on a New York Times bestseller list. One of us isn't. And I've written two books <laughs> and I'm the one who's not. So you can well, write and you do write and you are a writer. So, but moving on. Yes. Um, people definitely, first of all, they want to read good news. They, they love a good anger piece. And I'm sure you'll, you know, you jump on Patino and Louisville and whoever you jump on and they love to read that too in moderation but they want to feel good and they want to feel good about themselves and their state and their people. And they want to rally around their people. I can't tell you how many stories I've written around here about somebody that was a little bit down in their luck and Indiana, not just the city, but Indiana came out of the woodwork to support that person, whoever that person was. I mean, just story after story after story of, in fact, I'm at the point now where I, where one of these stories will come up and I'll tell somebody on the phone, Hey, I don't want to make promises. I can't deliver, but this story is going to be in the paper Sunday. And by Monday, you're going to not be, you're going to be blown away by what happened because Indiana is going to love you. And it happens every time. It's ridiculous. And I'm sure it would happen in Kentucky too. And I'm sure it does happen in Kentucky. Yeah, but you, you really are. I mean, I, well, let's do a couple of things. First of all, I, I can say you're very talented because you are, but you, but you're, you're a really good storyteller, but I want to go back where you said people who've gone through things because I mean, let's be real. You have gone through things. I mean, you have been, you, you have been like, you've, I've watched you have ups and downs just as a human being that you've been very honest about and it comes through in your writing. Sometimes you talk about it, sometimes you don't, but I think that makes you both more empathetic, but also more relatable to the subjects you're covering. Would you agree with that? Well, I hope so. But um, you've not only seen and read and whatever, but you, you know, I, I'm almost, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic and that's not my problem, but like alcoholics need to, once they get on their 12 step program or whatever, I'm not an expert on that, but apparently one step is apologizing to people they've hurt, something like that. Um, I, I, whether it's anger, anxiety, whatever it is, you know, I've, I've apologized to a lot of people over the years. I apologized to Bomani Jones uh, and, and he and I are good again. Um, I've apologized. I've never apologized to you. Um, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure you remember, I hope it was just once, and I think it was just once, but one time I was screaming at you on the phone. Do you yeah. remember that? No, no, I remember I was, uh, Drew Franklin and I were at a tennis tournament in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Pro Tennis Tournament. Yeah. And we were at dinner and you called and I went outside and took it. And you did. I mean, you 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 yelled at me. I don't now. What I don't remember is even what it was about. Me but I, I I do remember you being very upset. And I remember saying to you something to the effect of, "Look, Greg, you're my friend, and whatever this issue is, it doesn't matter to me as much as our friendship. So I don't want to do this. Um, and you don't need to apologize. Like I've I've done that. I mean, I've been angry at people, but I did. Here's what I thought when I got off the phone my very good friend is in a place that makes me sad and I don't really know what I can do about it. And when you're a control freak like me and you want to fix everything and then you see something, you go, there's nothing I can do about that. That was difficult. So, you know, I didn't, I knew what you were going through, but not really. And I'm just glad to see you in a positive place. 
Well, thank you. I, I am apologizing right now. I am sorry for that because I don't remember. I don't remember either what it was, but I do remember. I've always felt like I mean, it, it was not a two-sided. Well, you said something and I said something. No, it was just I lost it. I lost it, and it's one. It's anxiety and whatever. But um, so you deserve an apology, and you have one. And I sincerely, I should have done it before this. But um, well, that's very kind of you. But you didn't have to. But I appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. But I, I meant it. Um, but from that, you talk about empathy. Um, there's a lot of things in this life that, um, sadly, I have to experience, or I almost don't believe it. I guess I believe it. I don't know. One thing is, uh, well, pineapple on pizza. Um, one thing is well, something red serious, like pineapple on pizza. I get it, yes. Red wine. I used to make fun of people that drink red wine, and now I, I get it. I now well, you're get a it. wine snob now. Look no, at you. not a snob. <laughs> not, not a snob. No, but uh, I get it now. I understand. Um, but depression was one of them. I didn't, and I, I want to say I'd like to say that I was understanding of it. I just didn't. No, no, I, I really wasn't all that understand because I, you know, racism is ignorance. Um, it's, it, it can be worse than that. But it can be ignorance. Well, I was ignorant about depression to the point that I remember writing something for, C for CBS years ago. You're Michael Beasley played at Kansas state. Yes. And then he enters the NBA draft and the Miami heat drafted him second overall. I forget who went first or something like that. Um, I'm, and, and he went down to South beach and apparently announced, or it was reported that he had depression and he was on some medication and he had a couple issues. And I, I wrote these words for CBS wrote these words. I would love to be six, nine, making $4 million a year, uh, NBA, you know, star being, you know, with all of that implies, including uh, groupies or whatever. And please let, give me that life. Let me see if I could do it without being depressed. I wrote yeah. that. And uh, it's important that I never forget that I wrote that and that people know where I'm coming from. So they can, if they want to be mad at me for that, even now, okay, I've earned that. But now that I've been through depression and, and still, you know, you kind of it's like alcoholism i guess once you have it you you always have it um yeah empathy is certainly hard-earned hard-earned you know, it. it is very difficult for people to talk about depression there's a as weird as this sounds my biggest knowledge of depression you know i've known people that have it but like it's hard for people to talk about and it's hard for people to explain and it's hard to understand there's a tv show on netflix that's a cartoon bojack horseman do you know that show? <laughs> uh, no. Well, let me just say, I actually think you would love it. Okay. It is a weird cartoon comedy about a depressed former horse sitcom star. Okay. And the reason I say that's strange is because of the weirdness of it being a cartoon and of it having a horse as an entity, it can talk about depression in ways that made it clearer to me than anything I've ever seen before. And I've read articles from people who, who, who are, you know, experts in the field who say it's the best television show about depression ever. Oh, wow. Okay. And I actually can see it. I really can. I can see why they say that. I, I love it. I, it's funny, but it also does that. But for you, like, how would you describe to someone what that feeling is like? I know that you can't completely, but how would you describe that? Well, I guess the most stark way I can describe it, and it happens less and less now, um, but for years, and it kind of started, frankly, around the time I was screaming at you. That's when I first started having these feelings. Um, I, I think the, the word, I think the phrase that you've used on this is called passively suicidal. 
So I wasn't suicidal in the, in the sense where I was thinking about doing it or nothing like that. But I would read the paper stories of, of people that were shot by a, you know, a, a spare, a, a drive-by shooting just accidentally shot the wrong person or there's a crash. And I hate saying this because I realize there are people listening right now that have been through these exact things or they've lost a parent or whatever. And I don't mean to minimize any of that stuff, but I would read about people that, were, that had died and think, well, they're lucky because they don't have to worry about it anymore. And, uh, and I would think, say all the time just to myself or to my therapist, if she, I'd say things like, or, or to a, a close friend, I'd say, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and I, and I, you know, kind of like the Michael Beasley thing. This is, this is recently, you know, the, earlier this year, probably last year for sure. I mean, I'm at the star. I'm at, for me, for me, this is a dream job. Um, my kids are college graduates. Well, one of them is, one of them's doing great. Uh, anyway, I, I've got all these things, which sometimes makes it worse. I got all these reasons why I want to be here and I want to be here 50 more years. And uh, for the longest time, I don't want to be here 50 more years. You, you're saying a, even like last year you felt like that? Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I'm thinking probably probably earlier this year, although maybe not, because I started coming out of my shell really. Basically, there, there's, there's a woman in town. Her name is Whitney, and I've known about her, and I've known that she might be interested in me, maybe. Um, and I've just not been in any spot to even think about it. Uh, in February, I called her, February 3rd. Um, we got our first date February 6th. And so it's been three and a half months. And then you were quarantined for three months. So it was <laughs> right. Like, but I was quarantined in her house. <laughs> We've been together. So, uh, well, let me ask you I, though. I mean, like, you know, I, if I'm speaking out of turn, please tell me, but I, I, I think the, um, your, the time frame you're talking about sort of corresponds to your personal life before with your marriage. And now you seem happier because of meeting somebody new. Is it, is it a part, Greg, like just a loneliness thing? No, for, for me, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that for me. It's, it's the, it's the stress and the pressure. I, I have, I've been diagnosed this way by a couple of people. In fact, I was diagnosed this way by somebody and she didn't tell me until I asked her like, what, what am I? What, what do I have? Is it anxiety or depression? And she says, well, you, you know, I've diagnosed, diagnosed you with anxiety that leads to depression. And I remember, I, mean, I said to her, well, thanks for telling me, but um, anxiety. So it's uh, um, not loneliness. Um, it's more stress and, and pressure. And put, I put pressure on myself and, and worrying about stuff. It's, that's what's the hardest on me is the constant worrying about my kids and worrying about my ex. Is she going to be okay? And worrying about, and I just don't want to worry anymore. It's just too damn hard. I can't enjoy life because I'm, I'm too busy worrying about every damn thing, and including myself and do you think you like create things to worry about oh, yeah. just because oh. there's some comfort in just worrying? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And and the therapist that made the biggest difference for me, Dr. Vogler here in Greenwood, Indiana gave me uh. well, she said, we're going to, she said, the problem with you is the way you think. And we need to, you need to change the way you think <laughs> said, good luck with that. But she gave me a, a, among many tools she gave me, one of them was a, a worksheet that I've made 50 copies of. And it said, basically, what am I worried about? So you write it down. And then, you know, how, you know, what could go wrong if this happens? What could go wrong? What could go right if this doesn't happen? And how realistic? And so I'd write down just the ridiculous things I'm worrying about. Like one time, one of my kids uh, was in college and he tried to, he, he didn't have his books yet. He'd been on campus for about 10 days, didn't have his books yet. And I was so stressed about that. I think he's going to flunk out of college. And so I'm telling her about that. And so I took that worksheet home and wrote, what am I worried about? He didn't have his books. And 
and, and you work through the worksheet, and then one of the things is what could what could be happening really here? Forget what you're worried about. What what really could be happening here, and and what do you think will happen here? And I, I conclude by uh, the worksheet by by what's probably happening here is he knows the book situation better than I do, and maybe you read books online, maybe you don't. Um, but he's gonna be he's a, a junior. He's made it this far. He's gonna be fine. And and certainly he graduated. I mean he's fine. He was fine. So it's you got to put your fears down there and kind of look at them and go, really, you're worried about that. But I still on a daily basis, I got to remind myself, you're worried about that. Yeah, yeah, probably I am. Do you? Okay. So I have said, and this is true. Like you're one of the, I, I think radio is the one thing that I sort of personally feel like I do best. So I'm very harsh when I judge other people about it, which is probably rude. And I'm probably not nearly as good at it as I think. But I always thought you were good at it. Like, I always thought, like, you're one of the few people that I've heard do radio that I'm like, I can sit and listen to that person. And that person is compelling for me from start to finish, no matter what he's talking about, I'm interested. So I've tried for years to get you to, like, fill in and host my show one day. And you say to me often, like, I just don't want to do radio again. And you've never said why. Is it, does radio give you anxiety because it's not under your control? Like somebody could call you and, and mess up your mojo. Like, what is it? Well, it's, it's actually less about, it's less about the radio and more about where I am in life. Like I can't, I can't do this right now. I, I say that, but if you were to say right now, what could you host next week? The problem, yeah, but I mean, you could I'd say no. like, but, but you could, I mean, like you, you're sitting here with me for an hour, I think because you know, it will be positive. It's me and you talking like, and you say yes immediately. Oh, this is easy, but this is easy. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is when the red light goes on, if you're not there, it's just me. That's different. But here, here's what it comes down to. And I is if, if I say yes to you, you'd have a much better shot. And I realize you can't operate this way. Nobody can. But if you were to call me one day at two o'clock and say, Hey, I need a fill-in show a host at three from three to six. Can you? Do you don't it? have the week to worry about it. If I'm free, I, I'd say I got. I got. There's a chance I'm saying yes to that. I realize that question will never get asked that way, but I'd say yes to that. But if you tell me I got a week to think about it, no, no. Put it this way: the uh, the sports editor of USA Today, whoever came to Indianapolis to ask me to go cover the Olympics in Tokyo. This is, of course, back when we thought there would be the Olympics in Tokyo. This was a year ago. Took me to dinner just because he'd been told by people that Greg's weird. You're going to have to, you know. <laughs> so so it wasn't like you got to dine me and, 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 you know. Yeah, you're just weird. Yeah, I'm just enough. weird. Like, if you, if you think you can just email somebody. Because nor, normally you email somebody, hey, you want to go to Tokyo. But see, you you'd get, be so great at that. Like, you'd be so – like, the Olympics – is the epitome of the thing you're good at the sort of the feel good piece. And they're like, you'd be perfect for that. And let me guess you said no. Well, he, I mean, he told me he'd want me to do things like go to Tokyo go to the fish market and write about what, the, what happens in a fish market. And I love the idea of that story, but I said no, because he was asking me about something that would be on my schedule for a year. And it's going to sit there like a damn rain cloud hovering for a year. Every day I get closer and closer to it. And I don't want to do it. And I don't want to think about it. So no, the answer is no. And then I, I said to him, um, how many people 
you know, if, if you think you were, and he kind of finished my sentence for me. He goes, how many people would, would give me the answer you just gave me if I, if I gave him that offer? I said, yeah, how many people? He said, one. I'm sitting across the table from him. And he's right. I'm not like everybody else. And so I'm, do you want to get, let me ask you, do you want to get over that? Like, do you want to get yourself to a place that when the next time something like that is asked of you, you can do it? Or are you just like, this is who I am, so it's fine? I would like to be happier. I would like to be jolly. I, I admire people that have the mental stamina and energy to be up a lot. You know, I, I do some public speaking and, you know, I get invited to speak here or there or whatever. And, and I like that. And, and that can sit on my calendar for a while. I'm okay with that. Um, also, but uh, I tell them, you know, if you want me to speak, you know, there's, there'll, there, there'll be like a VIP meet and greet beforehand. And, and, then, and of course there's dinner at the table. And I tell them, I, I can't do all that. If, if you want me speaking at eight o'clock, if you want me to be on at eight, don't have me, at five o'clock talking to other people. Just have don't, me walk in at 7.59. Yes, yes. I don't even need to practice. Like the star has this thing we call the storytellers series where we, we invite five or six community people. We have a topic. One topic might be being a growing up a sports fan, but there are other topics like, you know, cooking and anxiety and whatever, serious topics. And we invite people from around the community to tell their story for about 10 minutes on stage. And we sell tickets and all this. And they wanted me to be the host one time, well, several times. And there's always these, these, not auditions, but you kind of, you practice your thing and, the, and you get critiqued. And, and I said, I'm not going to do any of that. If you want to show me, you know, it's like Eminem said in one of his songs, give me the mic, show me where the studio's at. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. But if you're going to make me practice and all, I can't do that stuff. So anyway, do I want to be jolly and have the mental energy and stamina that people have? Yes, I do. Here's what just happened a couple of days ago. Um, my girlfriend, who I love, Whitney, um, she and her family, they had, a, they had a cookout, a Memorial Day cookout on Sunday. This is just Sunday. And, and we all got invited to her, one of her, her in town, to a, her, her sister's house. And so there's like eight, eight or so of us. She's got two siblings. They got some kids. There's eight of us sitting around. I'm going to enjoy that. Well, after 10 minutes, we're not there anymore. And I'm prepared to go have a Memorial Day cookout with family and get to know her family better and all this. And so eight people, I'm cool with this. 10 minutes later, the whole party gets up and now we're going down the street to a neighbor who, and I don't know anybody in this neighborhood. We're going to a neighbor's house in the cul-de-sac and they have a pool and the kid's going to swim and we're going to sit around. And now I'm in a pool with 20 people and I only know about seven or eight of them, but they know everybody. They're all talking amongst themselves and I'm sitting there. And after about 30 minutes, I said to Whitney, this is not going to go over well, but I got to get out of here. And I got up and left and it went over about like you think it went over with everybody. It didn't go over well. <laughs> Um, yeah. but, but I did that. I was in that moment, I was drowning and I needed to get out of there. And you might, you know, people might think, and they might be right. Well, that's immature or suck it up or blah, 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 whatever. And, and I'm not telling anybody you're wrong. All I'm telling you is that exact one moment, it was fight or flight. I had to get out of there and I did. And so do I wish that didn't happen to me? Yes, I did. I don't say that's who I am. And I love me. No, I don't, but I, I can, I, overall, I like me enough to tolerate the parts of me I don't like. That's interesting. And like, you know, I always, I always say about people. So I, people, a lot of my friends think I'm too forgiving of folks. Like people can just, thank God you are. Thank God you are. But keep well, going. I am. I mean, like people would be surprised the folks I have relationships with, like they'd be surprised. Like, I can't believe you have a relationship with that person because you know, maybe they've done me wrong or, or whatever. But to me, I feel like you have to give everybody some benefit of the doubt because you can't live inside their head. And I have this weird trait where the almost the worse somebody acts, the more I tend to try to think 
something positive about them, which is really weird. And my thoughts go weirdly to the person that the world is going against, right? And that's often gets me criticized <laughs> because I'll go, well, wait a minute. And, and people say, well, why would you do that? But it makes it to where like, I can't help but sort of feel empathy for everyone, which is, people say that's a noble characteristic, but they don't really like it in practice. Cause there are some people, people don't want to have any empathy for, right? You know, for instance, like I don't like Donald Trump, but I also, and I think he's awful. But I also think there's clearly some loneliness and sadness in his life, or he wouldn't act like this. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't. Like somebody who was a normal person would not do the things he does. So like there's got to be something wrong there. And that's a long way of saying with you, I just always wanted, like, you know what's weird? I don't know that you've ever reached out to me to start a conversation. I feel like most of our conversations almost always start when I start them. I can tell you real quickly to interrupt you. That is the, that is the case with everybody. With I assume I am, that. I, I really assume that. And why yeah. do you think that is? Why don't you tell people, you had a great revelation about me before, before that. Hold on. I want to say about so you, well, you're describing yourself as a contrarian, but not just a contrarian for the sake of it, but a contrarian with a heart. And I, and I wonder if what it is is this, because this happens to me sometimes. When the whole world is all furious about a certain thing, even if they're right, sometimes it feels like what's happening here is so harsh and so loud and so this that I kind of, it almost feels like I'm being told I got to be this way too. And I don't tell me how to be. I'm going to be not, the way I want to be. Actually, it's less that. I mean, there's part of that, but it really is going imagine what it's like to be them right now. Like, imagine what it's like, you know, when the whole world turns on someone, I can't help but say, gosh, it's gotta be tough to be them. Like, you know, and that's weird, but, but I don't expect people to understand that. It's probably just me being silly, but, <laughs> uh, but I want to go back to what you said. Like you don't initiate convert like to be a friend with you you have like you have to sort of start it now once i reach out to you you're always nice but like why don't you why don't you want to do that for some reason and i and i don't understand but i'm i'm i am so um um kind of flattered and flattered is the wrong word flattered is i'm i'm more than flattered for some reason and flattered is the wrong word You've always seen the best in me. Always. You, 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 I mean, from the day we met at, at Rupp Arena in the press room, you've just always thought I was better, nicer, more charming, whatever, include what you said about the radio thing earlier. I don't know. You've got a blind spot for me, and I appreciate you having it because not many people do, I don't think. But um, it's, it's beautiful, the thing. What you, and I don't know why that is. I don't know what that is. But I'm real grateful to it. But – you do you remember the huge revelation you had about me that I didn't even realize? Um, what I think it was happening, we were yelling that day on the phone. You were yelling, like, Why do you think you do this? Do you, do you remember? What my, I'm not what sure. My, what did I say? No, well, do you remember what my hobby was? And it, it was like it was, you were punching people, right? Like, like well, you, were, you did all you the remember, UFC stuff, yeah. But do you remember hospice care? Yes, you did. That's right. You used to, you, and I said something like, What you're being friends with them because they won't be around long. Yes, I was a hospice volunteer, and you said, Greg, do you see what's happening? The only people that you see in this world, the only people you consider friends are people that you know are not going to be around very much longer. And, uh, and you weren't being mean about it. You were just making a really good point, and that's kind of – that's sort of 
sums up kind of what who I am and what I guess is that I, I've got a lot of passion and a lot of energy to give, but not for long periods of time. And uh, whether it's a person that doesn't have long periods of time, or it's, an, or it's, a, it's a public gathering that don't, won't last very long, or it's a friendship that might last 12 years, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't have well, a stamina. By the way, I'm not criticizing that. I think the fact you do that is really noble. I mean, like, because in this country, we forget about old people as quickly as possible, unfortunately. I love this, old people. Th this coronavirus has shown it. Like, we're just like, hey, you are going to die. And that's the way it goes. And that's, you know, that's, that's not how it should be. But that's how we operate too much. But I think it also shows that you make you do you end up doing really positive things. And I want to transition to the kid, the Purdue kid, because oh. you know there were a lot of stories about him. Most people probably know his story from the Ohio from the when they played Ohio State and it was on national television and it got a lot of attention. But the best stuff written about him was by you because you knew him more than on a three or four minute TV segment uh, level. So tell people about it's Tyler, right? Was his name Tyler? Tyler Trent. Yeah, so tell people about that. Well, Ty Tyler was a Purdue student who wanted to be a sports writer. Um, and I've talked about him so much, including publicly things. And I've cried so much that I think I can do this now without crying. Uh, and he, he died about a year and a half ago. But he, he, was a, he wanted to be a sports writer and was a sports writer and, and wanted to meet me and wanted to talk about writing and whatever and, and – and, and I didn't actually, I, I just, I had, hadn't done that yet. But then I, then I heard he had a, he had cancer. And so I wanted to meet him. And so we sat down before a big 10 tournament game or something, and he couldn't go to the big 10 tournament. And so I sat down and said, you should be there. You cover Purdue for the school paper. Let's write about you and why you can't be there and all this. So anyway, from there, I realized he's not just a story. This is a, an incredible kid, just a great young man. And once the, the postseason ended, I started visiting him. And, and I could tell that he really liked it. He got something out of it. And so, and I didn't, let's be honest, I didn't have anybody else. I didn't have a girlfriend. I, I mean, I had time. So I would go see him once a week and he was about an hour away, but I'd go up to see him once a week for a couple hours and hang out with him in his house. And I knew after, after a certain point, I just knew um, that he's not going to make it. You could just see, you know, the cancer kept coming back for him. The last time it came back for him, it just was devastating. Short, short of just, not wanting to see the truth, it was obvious he's not going to make it. Um, and I, I knew that I would be writing someday, you know, about him after he doesn't make it. I, I knew that was going to happen. And I, anyway, I, it was a, it was a weird thing to go see him and to know that someday I'm going to write about all of this. Uh, and the night that he died, I sat down and, and found out that he died and, and, and sat. my bosses said, can you write an obituary for Tyler ahead of time? And I said, no, I, I can't possibly write that without feeling it. And so he died and I sat down and wrote what I wrote and about 2000 words, just wrote it and then hit send to my bosses and then just fell apart, just completely just dissolved and fell apart. So I, I, I don't know how it is that Tyler got into my heart so much and I don't know how I was able to be so strong around him because he was dying right before my eyes every time i'd see him something else had been taken from him his voice his his ability to open his eyes his whatever but he was just an amazing kid and and uh a lot of a lot of people used him down the stretch a lot of people would go visit him and then you'd see a, a, a picture on instagram i'm with tyler and uh, i just felt like people were doing that because they wanted to um be you know look how good look how good i am i'm visiting tyler and i never wanted to do that in fact it, 
people wanted, I, I was offered a chance to write his book and I just wasn't, I'm not making money off Tyler Trent. I'm not doing it. So he just was a sweet kid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that doesn't surprise me about you at all. And I remember that story and I, it's weird because on the one hand, I, it obviously had to be like a wonderful thing in his life that towards the end, you know, I mean, when Purdue won that game against Ohio State that night, like that was such a thing. But there, that's odd from afar. It did feel a little bit like that to me, that it was – he was almost being used as a – not as a trophy's not the word, but as a prop in some ways. And I, I, I always appreciated that I felt like you actually had genuine interest in him as a human being. And I didn't even know about the going over there uh, every week. But that's, you know – I saw stuff in Tyler's life. I saw things happen. And the reason, one reason, I mean, I went for two reasons. I, I went, cause I know he got something. I mean, I know he got something out of it. I mean, I, it was so, I mean, he, he liked his parents told me, he, you know, he loved it. So I was going for him. Um, but I was going for me that the, the strength that kid showed the reason why his story went national. I mean, international, but the reason why the world was talking about Tom, he was trending internationally the night he died. The reason everybody knew his name uh, in real time was the, the, the strength and the hope and the the courage he was showing, you know, we all would like to think we'd act that way if we were dying of cancer or a kid would or whatever. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I will never see a Tyler Trent again. That I will see strong kids. I will see, I'll see things. I'll never see that. Not ever again. And I spoke here. Here's how crazy it is. The Tyler Trent story. Um, so he, he, he died um, I, I, on a Monday, I, I don't know, Tuesday night. I don't know when it was. It was New Year's Eve. Um, or New Year's Day, and uh, the next day my phone rings, and I don't recognize the number, but I, it's a Purdue exchange. I answer the phone. It's Mitch Daniels, the president of Purdue, and and uh, former, former governor, governor right? Yeah. yeah, calling me to talk about Tyler Trent. And uh, a couple of days after that, Tyler has his funeral, and they li- they they live streamed it because they knew they couldn't seat all the people that wanted to come for it. It was two thousand people. Scott Van Pelt flew down from from Connecticut. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski flew down with them. Uh, somebody else flew down too. I forget who it was. Somebody famous. Uh, oh, Tom uh, Rinaldi was there. Um, I spoke at the funeral, and my cue was: as soon as that guy walks away from the podium, it's it's my turn. So I'm going to the podium as that guy walks away, and I'm telling myself, I'm I'm following Governor Eric Holcomb. I mean, that that's who was speaking before me, Governor Holcomb. It just the the and, and I was there one time at Tyler's house when Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers president, called him, called him on the phone and said, "We want to hire you, and use and, and and just you know uplift the spirits, but we want you to analyze the draft prospects of this you know, watch TV and because you love college basketball, you can write and watch what you see from the from players and analyze it and give us a report on the draft prospects and they were going to use it, they were going to look at it. Well, Tyler didn't have a way to write because he could only use one hand and he couldn't really type and he only had a phone and he. And he was telling me that. And so I told Pritchard that, that he, he needs a, he needs a, a computer with a stylus and all that. And uh, the, like two days later, a $2,000 iPad pro shows up at Tyler's house and no one, and Kevin Pritchard sent it. Nobody knew that. I only knew it cause I was there when it arrived. So yeah. there was a lot of great, the great stuff in Tyler's life were happening behind the scenes. Do you, um, okay. Let's switch gears for just a second. You, okay. you always seem to me to, when you were at CBS really like being in the juice of things. So like, especially with social media, you liked going back and forth with fans, but you also liked when articles would get 
attention and you liked, I think, Kentucky fans because they liked you and they would converse that is with fun. you. That was and fun. they would converse with you. You kind of it felt like you liked being in the juice of it all. And I, I, I understand that because I'm like that too. As I get older, I'm less like it, but I was I, I definitely still have it. And then you go to a local still a big time paper, but a local place. It's not going to be, you know, there would have been a time that when you said Adrian Wojnarowski, Tom Rinaldi, Scott Van Pelt come, they might've said, and Greg Doyle from CBS came. And now you're the local guy that's speaking that those people are coming. Is that change something that you have embraced? Do you miss the other thing? I mean, so I'm a local guy that sometimes wonders what it would be like to be national, but stays pretty much local. You've been national and now you're local. Do you miss it? No. And I don't think I came here for that reason. Um, I do know that, that when the, when Denny star job opened up, Bob Kravitz was here and he left to work for a TV station. Um, I know that when I, that news broke on Twitter, I, my first thought was, boy, I hope the star calls me. And my second thought was, I can't believe you just thought that because I don't like change. And I don't, you know, my, my kids were, my life was in Ohio. I wasn't divorced yet. And that's, that's the biggest change in my life. I can't believe I want that. So I don't think that's the reason, although I don't know, but I do know that um, I don't have the, I was starting to fall apart back then too. That, that was around the time I yelled at you and all that. I was starting to crumble and I don't, the juice that you describe, I don't have it anymore. Um, I, I know, Twitter, but do you miss it? No, no, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I can't, I should do it more. There, there's enough juice around here locally. I could, I could jump in, you know, it's, I, I don't have the energy anymore to get on Twitter and social media and mix up with people and even talk that much with people. I don't, it, it's just too much. It feels like too much. Um, I don't, I just can't do it. I, I know that, um, that for the, this job is more of, it's, it's such a business proposition, right? The, the, the way the media has changed now, First of all, we're newspapers. We have everybody's needing to charge. Like the athletic has come out of nowhere and they just charge. You can't read them for free. And newspapers are only going to survive the ones that do by charging online because no one's buying the paper anymore. Um, so everything I do is is a business opportunity, good or bad. And so I can't even afford to be on on social media doing what I want to do, which is when someone's a jerk, I want to just blow the I still have it. I can blow I, I'm still pretty good at it. <laughs> but I can't do it anymore. I, because the, you're because you're worried of losing your job or something like that? No, I'm worried about losing a customer. Like you're, you're oh, I worried about losing a customer. Your customers or potential customers or if I blow you up in the way that I want to, it's gonna get retweeted by about 50 people. And some of them are gonna be customers and they're not gonna like it. And they're gonna so I can't I'm just better off removing myself from it because uh my my uh, my upset my impulse control is not great and uh, and Twitter's so d discouraging to me. You're not people. great. Like you, you, one thing you're not great at. I've given you enough compliments. One thing you're not great at Thank is you're God, not what you're not great at knowing the line. Oh like you, no, you, you, you'll cross the line. Oh, which is I mean we all cross the line sometimes, but I feel like I have sort of an internal. You see and you go, oh that was too much when somebody does it. And I did that sometime with you. You, you, you would go like not terribly too far, not like lose your job too far, but like walking across the line too far. Would you agree? Oh, I almost lost my job at CBS. I was one line cross away. At least that's what they said, and I believed them. It was around the time I screamed at you. I was again, I was falling apart, and uh, I, I kept doing things on the radio or on Twitter. It was just a bunch of stuff. My boss kept calling me, telling me, you can't do that anymore. You can't say that anymore. You can't write that anymore. 
And so finally he called me one time and told me, this is the last time I'm going to tell you that you can't do whatever it is you're doing. You can't do that anymore. And it would but wasn't it usually, it was usually with you, you would go, you would write something that made people mad. You would then go on the local radio show Ugh, oh. that like, this is what you would do. Like and argue write, with the local host and local and argue with the local host. And in the process of that conversation, say something that crossed the line. Like, isn't that usually how it went? Oh, every time. And it was, oh, I threatened, uh, Kentucky fans love this, but uh, they probably know this. I threatened to beat up Pete Thamel one time because I was just so <laughs> sick on a radio show. I was yeah. so sick of him. And, and I, okay, I'll, there's a story here. I was so sick of him. I think it was the, uh, uh, who was that little six foot one shooting guard that with the Milwaukee Bucks now um, played for Kentucky for one year? Bledsoe. Bledsoe. It was Bledsoe couldn't, didn't deserve to graduate high school or didn't deserve a scholarship, whatever. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. You're talking about a kid. Uh, I just, anyway, I, I threatened to beat him up one time on a radio show. Um, I don't think it was national, but somehow Thamel heard about it, told his bosses. His bosses called my bosses. My boss called me and said, this is the last time I'm, I'm going to call you and tell you you can't say that anymore, whatever, whatever that is. You're fired if I have to call you again. I, I hung up the phone, walked into my backyard. We had we had trees in my backyard, pounded my head against a, against a tree until I was bleeding. Like Greg White, because I knew he was right. You can't say that. You can't say Wait, that. You pounded your head against a tree until you were bleeding out of pure frustration. Do you do you know the person that I empathize with more than anybody on this planet ever has? Grayson Allen. So much. And I wrote about this four years ago. If you remember when Grayson Allen would do whatever he was doing, he was wrong. He would trip and kick and do all that stuff. He would then go back to the sideline when he'd be taken out or whatever and just go nuts on the sideline, screaming and kicking his feet. And I think a lot of people thought, didn't know what that was. What that was was he was furious at himself. That was him banging his head against a tree. Because he, like, why, Grayson, do you keep doing this? He's telling himself, why, 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 why? I empathize with that because when you don't have the impulse control and you're falling apart, you, you can't stop until you cross that line, until you realize, oh, no, I've crossed the line. Well, you can't take it back. So I apologize to Pete Thamel in person. Um, and we are who we are, and this is who he is. Um, this is at Penn State. We were, we were both there for the Sandusky stuff, and he was there for, I think, the New York Times, I think it Maybe. was. Yeah. And uh, I was there for CBS, and, and he was in the press box. And, and I walked up to him and said, Pete, and we never even met in person. And this is after I threatened to beat him up and he told his bosses and, you know, I've gotten into trouble and all that. I, I go up to him and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Greg Doyle. And he just looks at me and goes, yeah. And I said, I know I've said some things about you. and I just want you to know, I'm sorry. And he looks at me and he's quiet for about a second or two. And he goes, I'm writing a story for one a New York times. I got to go. In other words, leave me alone. <laughs> wow. It wasn't, it wasn't, but his, his method of, of, of dissing me wasn't just beat it, punk. It was let me know he's right. He's not only writing a story, but he's writing a 1A story for the New York or whoever he's working for, for the New York Times, whatever. Um, that was, that's who he is. You yeah. are okay. You be you, you be you. And, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Which See, is it's I'm really hard. It's really hard when you've done something wrong to someone that is still kind of awful. Right. Like, like, right. cause I've done that and I have had a number, I've had a couple of scenarios where I've gone and apologized to people cause I have done something I wish I hadn't done, but in some ways they owe an apology to me too. 
and that ain't coming. And it's <laughs> like, you know, you have to, you almost have to do it for yourself because you're almost let it, like they feel like they won. You know what I mean? Like they feel like, see, I apologized. Matt, Matt apologized. So clearly I was in the right and he was in the wrong. And like, it's tough. It is really hard. It's not hard to apologize when you wronged a good person. It's hard to apologize when you wronged a person that you don't like. And I've done that. And I've tried to make those amends over the years, some of which I still haven't been able to, but that's a tough one. It's, it's cause I, I'm not, I mean, I don't really know Pete Thamel, but I do know people like that. And that is an extremely difficult apology to make. Yeah. Now, while you've been saying that, I've been going, and I can't come up with one. I'm trying to think, because I've apologized to a lot of people. I mean, I love the words, I'm sorry. I, two of my I favorite do too. words. I, I do too. I don't know why people, like, I don't know why that's hard for people. I really don't. Like, why is it so hard? Do you feel better? Oh. Like, like, why is that so hard? Well, I remember, people, like, that's, again, back, I don't mean to come back to Trump, but he never apologized for anything, ever. And I actually think people have respect when you apologize. I don't understand why people don't do that more often. Well, there are some people, let's be honest, smart people have respect when you apologize because they understand the world's a difficult place. We're not perfect. We're going to screw up. And you had the courtesy or guts or whatever to say you're sorry, the humility to admit you're wrong. And so smart people recognize that for what it is. Dumb people see it as weakness. And so people that don't apologize are still loved by dumb people um, because look how tough that guy is or that woman is, you know, but but I think smart people recognize, wow, he apologizes a lot. At least that, that's my hope because I apologize I all big, the time. I'm big on forgiveness. Like, I think I'll forgive anybody, but I, I, it's weird. I need the apology. Like, you just need some. Oh, you need it. You need, you need some, it. like, understanding of, of contrition. But, uh, well, you – okay, so you do a lot of these touchy-feely, like, Tom Rinaldi things. But you also have to do regular sports, right? I mean, I see you write about the Colts and the and 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 the the rest. Do you, when you're doing things like Tyler Trent, you're doing these high-minded things where there feels like a purpose beyond balls going in baskets? Is it then hard to write about whether Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback next year? No, because you know what it is is Jacoby Brissett. That story is like the uh, sorbet that cleanses my palate. I can't write these um, these tear jerkers. I can't do a lot. It's too hard on me. Um, I wish I could remember the kid's name. There's a kid from Franklin Central, which is a high school right down the street from where I live, who uh, had cerebral palsy and and became a student manager for Calipari at IU. Yes, and, yeah, I, I I remember who you're talking about. Yes, yeah. There's that kid, and there's and I mean I've written a bunch of. There's a Kentucky fan who, if you remember, about five years ago fell at Rupp Arena or yes, yes. paralyzed. Mm -hmm. You know, I wrote about that, that guy maybe twice. And um, those are, those take a lot out of you. You know, if you really, to do it right, to talk to these people and to try and feel what they're feeling and then to write, I mean, it's hard. So I need to write every now and then, Jacoby Brissett's not any good. Or Adam Vinatieri needs to retire. Or best of all, Josh McDaniels is a little twerk pissant. I can't believe the Colts tried to hire that guy. So I need those. Do, take do those you still from me. Do, do you still do the twerk pissant columns? I don't see those as much, they, but they don't get the trending that the nice ones do, but they still exist. Okay, I got two words for you. John Beeline, and uh, that will be in the newspaper tomorrow. Oh, wow. uh, it'll, it'll be going online today, tonight. 
Um, he's not the target. He's not the point. The point of the story is about transfers and all these college basketball transfers. And apparently we've got more than 800 of them this year. I mean, it's crazy. And in my state alone, you can have a pretty decent starting five out of the five kids that transferred away from Butler, uh, Purdue, and IU. Just yeah. from those three schools alone, a really good starting five. And a sixth man. And a sixth man. So, uh, but I, I use John Beeline. I hold him up as my human shield to say, but it's people like this that think transfers are bad. So who do you want to be? Do you want to be like this guy? But anyway, I, well, I, got I want to John read Beeline. that. I, I got think, from pretty I, good. I, I think that uh, – I hate the coaches that rail against transfers. It's nonsense. Um, all right, let's talk for a second about Indiana basketball since you've now been around it closely. It makes no sense that they have, for the most part, sucked for 25 years. I mean, it really makes no sense. I mean, they, you know, they had that one run where they went to the finals with Mike Davis, but they weren't really good that year. But besides that, they've really only been good one season. The season they had Oladipo and Zeller, and they should have done better, and I think they got upset by Syracuse or something in the tournament. Like, that's really the only year they've been really good. Why do you think that is? Well, um, two more words for you. Billy Gillespie. Um, Kentucky had the wrong coach. And I, I thought that was a great hire. Yes, you I, did. I remember that. You oh, I it. did. Oh, I had a line in my story. People still – they sent me this line. It's why I remember it. Is uh, I was so wrong, but I said by when he got hired, something along the lines of, by the time Gillespie is done running Rick Patino out of the state, Patino will be collecting his mail in Missouri. Something. I mean, <laughs> which is wrong. I wasn't right about that. Sorry. Yeah, you missed that one. Yeah. I missed that one. Um, because I, you know, I didn't know all the demons he had. But anyway, um, you're only as good as your coach. Like, I don't care what your program is. I don't care what kind of blue blood you are. Um, even Kentucky couldn't overcome Billy Gillespie. You're only – and I – and this Indiana has made some bad – since Bob Knight made some bad hires. Kelvin Sampson was going to win. He was just going to cheat his ass off, and he did. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was the right hire from a winning standpoint. He's awesome, but he can't, he's, uh, he's unethical. So that was the wrong hire. Mike Davis was the wrong, was the wrong guy to replace Knight. Tom Crean gave it a shot, and it just didn't work out. And Archie Miller, it's not working out yet. Um, but why is it that they have to go to that level of coach? I mean, when Kentucky – True. I when hear Kentucky – you know, Billy Gillespie, whatever it was, at the moment he was the hot guy, right? And so it yes. ended up being wrong. But, like, a lot of people would have wanted him at that moment. Um and then you had Cal, and my assumption is if Cal leaves, I don't know who they'll pick, but they'll have their pick of who they want. It doesn't feel like Indiana has that pick. Why? Well, I, I think Tom Crean was fairly hot. I mean, the, the yeah. Dwayne Wade uh, That's hard to four. imagine now. He had gone to a Final Four, though. That's right. I, I mean, I think so. And I wasn't here covering it, so I'm not sure. But, but um, Archie Miller uh, was for sure hot. Now, there was a lot of people that didn't love the hire. I loved it. But, I mean, he was winning big at Dayton. But now you look at Dayton under Anthony Grant, and you look at Dayton before Archie, and you realize, well, hell, everybody wins big there. Yeah, everybody, it's a good and school I'm, to I'm, win at, you know. It is. I mean, when you're the, the best job in your conference, you win. That's and what Dayton, Cal always says. Cal always tells his coaches, worry less about the level, but make sure you're the best job in your conference. Right. It, it, yeah, it's apples and oranges. If you're if you're the apple and they're the, the, those sour orange, you're going to win. So – um, in hindsight, we may have been wrong about Archie being really great because he wanted Dayton, and that's what you do. Uh, 
I don't know. You're asking the million dollar question around this day because we all want to know why, why can't they? A well, let me let me put it a different way. So we yeah. when we went to Iowa, I told you before we started about us doing the Iowa caucus, yeah. and we stopped in Indiana, probably 30 minutes from Bloomington, and we just ate pizza at this place. I think is Columbus, Indiana. Is that a place? It is about a, about an hour south. Yeah. Yeah. So we went. We stopped in Columbus, Indiana, and we ate pizza. And Indiana was playing. I want to say Ohio State in basketball. So it was like. A rivalry game. I mean, I know Purdue's the big rival, but Ohio State, that's still an important game, I would think, in some level. Oh, yeah. And we're in a pizza place, a sports pizza place. Like, it's like a place with TVs everywhere. And the game is on, Greg, and no one's watching. Like, you're an hour from Bloomington, and Indiana is playing Ohio State in basketball, and no one is paying attention to the game. And I was like, what has happened? Like, it's in Kentucky – this would be huge. Like, what's going on? And and that's what I don't get. Have the fans just had 20 years of now they're just bored with it? There's a lot of apathy here based on how hard it's been. Um, Bob Knight was lightning in a bottle. And, and IU was good before Knight. They had a guy, Branch McCracken, won national championships here. So it wasn't like IU was nothing before Knight and it's nothing without him. They were good before Knight. But Bob Knight set the bar so high and he left so – controversially you know he left so controversially um and then was replaced by mike davis who kind of drove it off a cliff that there, d- disillusionment happened in this state that there is no comparing and, and i'm sure it was different 20 years ago but there is no comparing how much does a state love its state school now this state indiana loves basketball we love basketball but there's no comparing how much do we love iu compared to how much does kentucky love uk there's no there's no comparison um and I don't know why that is. I don't, I, but I think it's the disillusionment from a, too much losing, too much mediocrity. And is around part here, of it the rise of, I don't know, Butler. I mean, like the the fact that there are, I mean, there've always been other options, but it feels like, you know, I mean, if you look at the last fifteen years, Butler's the most successful program in the conference or in the state. And 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 Purdue's Purdue's up there too. Actually, they've been de- deceptively very good for a long time. Painter's been just below the level of greatness, close to it, but just below it. For I mean, I went, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I went when I was doing, Drew and I would do those tours for CBS and Fox where we go to like 14 games in 14 days. Yeah. You were there for one of those. And we went to Indiana on senior day. They played Nebraska on senior day one year and Nebraska beat them in Bloomington on senior day. And then after it was over, they had the senior day (laughs) ceremony after losing to Nebraska at home. And I remember thinking, this is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. Like you're sitting there losing to Nebraska and then having senior day ceremony. And it was like, man, this thing is really falling. Well, one thing that's been, I'm always, I'm always amazed at, um, I guess I'm not amazed anymore, but I always look and see if it happens. And I'm always, I guess now I'm disappointed is that the student section at assembly hall, and it's a big one. I mean, it, there's, they have a lot of seats for a lot of kids. So there, there is that, but it's all, it's never full, never, uh, except for Purdue. When Purdue comes, there's not a seat in the building. Otherwise there's always hundreds of seats, if not maybe a thousand or two, they're the worst seats in the house, but they're there. And I, every time I watch it against good teams against Ohio state, on senior day, whatever. I always and I'm always thinking if you want to be a basketball school, then be a basketball school. And being a basketball school means you fill this arena every single time you play. I don't care if you're playing, you know, 
Because it's also not that big. I mean, it's not like it's rough, you know. I mean, it's not. I, I think it seats sixteen or seventeen. Okay, rough seats twenty one now, but you know. Okay, I mean, it's, but, it's not small, small, but but the atmosphere is not not what I thought it would be. And I, you know, I covered Duke in North Carolina. Yeah, Heck, well, Wake, Wake Forest had a great atmosphere. Um, well, you know, we I was there in twenty twelve that season when Watford hit the shot, and it's almost embarrassing how much that shot means to Indiana people. Like a regular season game almost a decade ago, and then Kentucky beat them by a lot in the tournament, and you still celebrate that regular season game. But I was there, and it was a heck of an atmosphere. It was one of the more amazing atmospheres I've been in in sports. So I don't want to I don't want to hate on it. It was an awesome atmosphere, but I was shocked at how nasty it was in terms of how nasty the fans were. And there was so much vitriol. And Cal has said, Cal walk of court said, I'll never come back here ever. And he hasn't. And it almost felt like to me, it was like 15 years of Indiana fans being like, why aren't we you? I'm so angry that we're not you anymore. And it all boiled out that day. Is that plausible? Oh, that was before. I, I wasn't here. I know um, you weren't here, but, but like you're you know you're there with the culture of it. Well, the culture of it, it's an angry. I mean, it's an angry culture. You know, when, when Purdue comes, it's. Uh, I mean, it's nasty. It and, and and a lot of people, the people that are nasty, listening to this would say, well, it's supposed to be nasty, and uh, that's I guess that people you know you can argue with that if you want, but it's it's just a it's a hostile environment uh, when they don't when they're not happy. Purdue again, Matt Harms got yelled at. F you Harms, F you like chanted, F you Harms. They would have really hated if he came to Kentucky, which he almost did <laughs> as a transfer. Yeah, he almost came here. He went to BYU, but it was Kentucky or BYU, and he chose BYU. Oh boy, uh, and we didn't see that transfer coming. I, I I still don't really understand what happened there. I'm not sure, but but one kid from Indiana, Justin Smith, is transferring out on his list of schools is Purdue. Imagine an IU kid going to Purdue. Well, or yeah, or an IU kid. I mean, in fact, an IU kid almost went to Kentucky and might go to Purdue. Like that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. There, there's a disconnect between the fan base and, and maybe even the players in that this is a an old. Uh, the tradition here is undeniable, and it, but but it kind of. I mean, it's been good. It's been fine for the last 20 years, depending on who you want to compare it to. But starting 20 years ago to 60 years ago, it's, you know, a blue well, They're Tennessee and Nebraska football. That's what they are. Right, like they're, right. They're Tennessee and Nebraska football. They used to really matter, and they don't now, and they don't really know how to handle it. But, they, but because you've mattered before at that high level, and not everybody can – you know that this school can do it. Yeah. It's done it before. It's done it for decades. So you know it's possible because some schools will just never happen. There's some schools I will start naming them, but it'll it'll never happen there. There, it just can't for whatever reason. It can happen here. It did, and the fact that every year that goes by it doesn't happen, you got a mixture of outright fury and then outright apathy. And I'm not sure which one's worse. Probably apathy, but the fury is the one you hear from, and they're angry. And I don't, you know, I, I get it. They they thought they were yeah. grown, they were raised on excellence that hadn't happened, and they're, they're pissed. All right, I'll finish with you with this. Let's say in one year, Greg Doyle comes on for another interview. I'll have you before a year if I keep doing these. Uh, oh, I hope term. so. But let's say in one year, I bring you on right after Memorial Day in 2021. What is Greg Doyle's life then if it's how you hope it will be? Oh, wow. Um, wow. Uh, well, the reason I say that is I did an interview with you on this probably three years ago, 
Yeah. And you were better than you had been before. Um, you're better now than you were three years ago. But I, I had a bottoming out between between the two. Then. Oh, for sure. Oh, so bad. What, bad. So what? 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 Where do you want to see yourself be in one year? Well, I would like to say that I've had a year where, th- out of 365 days, at least 350 of them, I said I want to I want to be here 40 more years. I want to, and I, I don't mean Indianapolis. I mean alive. You know, I, I want to feel that way. I want to feel happy to be alive, not just resigned to being alive. I've got kids, got to take care of. I want to be happy about it. When you say 350 days, that means there's 15 days that aren't. Do you sort, so you still have those days? Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't have so many days anymore where I, I literally just say, I don't want to be here, but I have a lot of days where I'm neutral. A lot of days where I'm like, I'm just neutral. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm not complaining about it. I'm not thrilled, but I'm here. I'd like to have 350 where I'm happy about it because I should be happy about it. I have my life. A person should be happy with this life. A person should. Where do I want to be a year from now? Um, ideally, ideally, I'm not living in my apartment anymore. Ideally, I'm living with Whitney a year from now, whatever that means. But at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to rush it. I don't want to rush it. And I want to want to live there. You know, I want, I mean, I should, and I should want to live there. She's tremendous. You know, you've, you've heard of, well, what's his name says, I'll kick the coverage, you know, that stupid website, but um, I've outkicked my coverage. And that's, that's a great feeling. No, I've outkicked it. I've outkicked the hell out of it. I'm Ray Guy in this mother. I mean, I am, <laughs> I outkicked it. So on the one hand, I'm aware of that. On the other hand, I'm not. Well, maybe you'll be in Tokyo for the 2021 Olympics. No, not, that's not where I want to be a year from now. Not where you're going to be. Okay, fair enough. I want to be on my chair holding my son's snake on my lap because it keeps me warm and vice versa. I want to be watching a UFC fight even if it's two years old. I want to be eating a Larry and Lace cookie and drinking a coffee. That to me is the high life right there. I don't understand your UFC thing, but I know you like it. Well, let me oh. say this. And, and you know, I don't necessarily expect you to do this, but I also hope you know – I am sure there are other people besides me, but I am certainly one of these people. You know, if you ever need anything, you can always call me. You know, I adore you. I think you're a wonderful person. I consider you a good friend. And, uh, you know, as I said to Tony Benetti, there's a certain level of friend that I will send my book to. You're one of those. Uh, (laughs) There's a certain level of friend that I'll read their book. And uh, that you're one of those. Oh, that is very nice. But seriously, I hope you will take that seriously. I'm we're all I'm always here, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, my weakness is that I, I don't reach out, um, and I probably wouldn't. I'd probably drown before I'd reach out. But and I hate that. But anyway, I you're the best. I've you've always seen the best of me. I don't understand it. The world we need people like that in our corner. And you, thank you, man. I I love that about you. You're the well, best. Thank you, Greg.